business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What's up, fellow business owners, entrepreneurs? Welcome back to another episode. Happy Friday, John. Happy Friday yeah, to you, man. because the people listening to this podcast Happy aren't Friday. listening on a Friday. For not, them, they've been listening to this on a Monday. Well, happy Monday to you listeners out there. It's yes. too bad. It could be Friday like we have it We're here. bringing but, Friday hey, vibes <laughs> into Monday. That's right. That's but what we're doing. Into yeah. Monday. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Every day is a good day around here. Hey, as always, our podcast brought to you by Wingman. Wingman is your all-in-one marketing and sales automation software, which help you streamline, streamline your communication, automate your processes, and grow your business. Every business needs a wingman. Am I right? Check it out at trustyourwingman.com. Okay. I like to start these podcasts. We like to start these podcasts off with an icebreaker. Let's kick it. Ice, icebreaker. All right. Today's icebreaker. If you could clone yourself, what would your clone be doing right now? Sneha, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you take it. What do you think? What would your clone be up to? My clone would probably be at a vineyard that she owns, making Ooh. and sipping her wine, because I'm a wine yes. sommelier. So uh, that is kind yeah. of something that, you know, ultimately, I hope is a dream that I accomplish. But yeah, for now, the clone, just somewhere uh, chilling, having, having good wine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's what's up. I, it's funny. I was going to say, when I, when I saw the question, I was like, my initial gut feeling was, my clone is going to be out fishing, like kayak fishing somewhere, like on yeah. some form of adventure. And and then I was like, well, wait a second. Like, I want to be on that adventure. And then I was like, well, wait a second. Is the clone going to have – do I have the feelings of the said clone? Or it's a really weird question you can get into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What are I you, John? Got, I, got, I got into the same thing on mine. I was thinking, you know, what would I want to do? Would I want to send the clone to go do the work or – me to go do the fun you know but then do yes, i trust exactly. the clone to do the work like <laughs> i don't know and then this That's morning right. my son was sick and you know so i'm doing the podcast from home and i'm thinking i would go to the podcast studio and leave the clone here today i think but do i trust the clone with my kid <laughs> clone gets I don't to know. be the dad the day. <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> that's, that's a good question good. though should it do yeah. the fun work or should it do the boring work yeah because i kind of want to have multiple clones we'd have a cold calling clone We'd have a oh, working yeah. clone. We'd have a closing clone. A working out We'd clone. We'd have a variety of clones around here. Yeah. That is too fun. Okay, so we like to kick these episodes off with these icebreakers because obviously it's fun. It obviously starts the conversation in a really good way, but it also helps us get to know our guest. And today we have an incredible one for you guys. Sneha Saigal is an MBA focused on entrepreneurship from IESE Business School in Barcelona, what she learned to leverage her expertise across industries from consulting to nonprofits until she co-founded and launched Geeks and Experts, which that's that's basically us. I'm excited about this. She has focused on marketing and business development. She has always made creative value a core element to her success. Through learning and collaboration, she gives back through initiatives such as liberal arts and prison programs and social impact enterprises. I am so excited to have you here, Sneha. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
I'm excited to chat with them. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we're kind of in a similar space, similar industry. Uh, so these conversations are always a lot of fun. They're one of the first ones that like, I'm like, okay, this is going to be an easy conversation. We're going to have a great time. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You kind of hinted at it. You're a wine, you're like a wine connoisseur expert. I wanted to hear a little bit more about that. I want to learn a little bit more about you before we get into the tough questions. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, so to give you a little context, uh, of course, yes, I did my MBA in Barcelona, like you mentioned. And that was kind of where I decided to also get my wine sommelier degree because I was like, if I'm studying business during the week, maybe I can study wine on the weekends. So that's just something that I'm passionate about on the side. But uh, professionally, I've been in different industries, you know, right out of college. I started working um, basically in the prison program in Iowa, uh, which was teaching mathematics to incarcerated men. So that was my segue into joining the social impact sector back in India, because that's where I'm from. Uh, working in nonprofits and then you know, transitioning from there to social impact consulting, uh, kind of have always been in, you know, small, early stage companies, uh, working with very scrappy, limited budgets, uh, resources. And after getting my MBA, I decided now I want to do the same thing, but with tech startups. So, you know, that took me to food tech startups. Uh, it also took me to, uh, you know, fashion uh, tech companies. And having been in early stage companies was when I realized that very often your needs are so dynamic and volatile, you could require some kind of fractional expertise for the next three months and then not have a need for it for a bit. Uh, and specifically when it comes to PR, uh, that is kind of the bread and butter of what we are seeing at Geeks and Experts, that uh, at the early stages of a startup, you don't need to hire like a huge agency to do you know PR for you on a one-year retainer. Maybe you need somebody to come in to do that PR sprint for you, whether that's for a new product that you're uh, launching or a new feature that you're launching or you're doing a fundraising announcement that you need help for. So that's kind of the sweet spot where we're at right now. We work with C to Series A startups uh, across different industries. So think, you know, beauty, CPG, fashion, edtech, climate tech, uh, and we match them with PR specialists who have those domain expertise to work on their PR efforts. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. Of course, we do have, uh, you know, GTM sales experts, but the bread and butter is PR for us at Geeks and Experts. That's so cool. It sounds like having that experience, I mean, a number of experiences, obviously, not just one single experience, is really what kind of helped you guys define what you're doing now, right? Because without mm -hmm. realizing that there was this need for, you know, specific needs in a limited time. Uh, especially sometimes with limited resources available, you know, which like startups, I feel like people like look at startups and they think, well, oh, they have all this money. Like they should be perfectly fine. It's like, it takes a lot to run a startup. They're spending like, a lot of money. Yeah. There's exactly like, it's not as much as you think, like their resources are also finite, right? Exactly. Exactly. And at the early stages also, you, you think, you know, there's so much mystique or mystery around PR. How do you navigate it? Uh, you can do some kind of founder-led PR as well. But when it comes to when you're at that stage, when you're ready to scale it a bit, you don't have to jump to hiring somebody full-time directly. You could start with just fractional, uh, you know, bursts or sprints that you can do with some of these specialists. So that's kind of the model we're trying to work on over here. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your business school experiences in Barcelona. How was that? Uh, you grew up in India. You had some experiences in Iowa. So like, it sounds like you were kind of bopping around all over the place, but how World was traveler. School? Yeah, it's right. It, exactly. it was, it has been. I've been away from home since I was 16, actually. So there's always been different places that I've, you know, got experience from, which I think is really what shapes me into, you know, being the person I am today. So uh, you owe a lot of it to that. But business school, 
contrary to what people think, uh, you know, business school was not about being at the beach in Barcelona for for a large amount of time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was the first year I don't think I saw the beach. So uh, definitely, definitely very, very uh, hardcore, you know, a lot of intense courses. So the case method is something that IESE actually adopts. So we follow uh, case studies, we take deep dives into those. So it's not so much uh, material and, uh, you know, coursework, but it's more casework. So deep diving into case studies, uh, of course, you you know, working with your teams, um, which are allocated to. And then the second year was a little more, you know, fun in that regard, quote unquote, uh, where you get to yes. select yeah. certain <laughs> courses that you want to deep dive into. So for me, I did, you know, a course on entrepreneurship, which was amazing. I did one on negotiation, which I really, really loved because I think those are some of the tools which really have come in handy now, you know, when I'm working on my own business. So yeah. all in all, it was, it was a great experience. Yeah. That's so cool. And then how did you make it to Iowa? Like, I feel like these, we're talking yeah. about very opposite places of the world. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. So Iowa was because I was in uh, Grinnell College, which is uh, a liberal arts college in Iowa. And uh, when I was applying to schools, you know, having come from India, uh, my family, we were really, you know, kind of doing our homework to figure out what kind of schools would be good to go to, um, you know, what kind of courses um, would and I didn't know actually what I wanted to specialize in. So liberal arts just really provided that opportunity to figure out, you know, what are the different courses you can start with and then narrow down your major. So it gave me the opportunity to do like religious studies. It gave me the opportunity to do uh, mathematics. It gave me the opportunity to do like a whole lot of, you know, psychology courses as well. And then decide in the second year uh, that I want to specialize in economics and global, de- you know, development studies. So that was the idea was to, you know, be in a liberal arts college. Now, how Iowa came about, I guess there are many, many different reasons or, you know, just how I landed up there. But one of them being my parents, I guess, were a bit concerned about just being in a big city and not getting any studies done. So, uh, you know, it was being in Iowa was just an experience I don't think I would otherwise have because now I live in New York and I know exactly what it's like to live in a big city. And having come (laughs) from Bombay, of course, I know what it's like. You know, this feels at home. But Iowa was just very, very eye opening, very refreshing. The campus community is splendid. So you will not replicate that you know, in a big uh, city campus is very hard to replicate that, yeah. that same energy uh, and camaraderie. So those, that's how I landed up in Iowa for four years. Do you ever that's go awesome. back or are you done with, are you done with Iowa? I, it's, it's, it's funny you ask because uh, I was matched with a host family there, like a local family that kind of adopted me as an international student and, uh, you know, we would do all our big celebrations together. And so I'm hoping to go back because my host sibling is, uh, getting married and uh, you know maybe it's a time oh, for me to so cool. revisit and see them and they visited me in India when I got married uh, two years ago so you know it's everything is about like just coming full circle and having those bonds that have lasted now what 10 years because I graduated in 2012 and we're in 2024 almost so yeah that's so that's so amazing I want to learn obviously like we're, I want to talk about business, obviously, and we'll get to that because, like, that's what you're here for, right? Like, we're here to talk to business owners. But, like, I feel like your experience with, like, a lot of the social justice components mm-hmm. have had to shape a lot of what you're doing, especially, like, I've seen startups do a lot of that. How do you see the role of businesses, small businesses specifically, being able to contribute to these positive social changes? I mean, obviously, you've got a number of examples, but, like, I think that that's like, an important conversation, especially for the startup world. I love that question. Thank you so much for asking that. I strongly feel 
one of the pillars that has you know started right from when i worked in in social impact was empathy because you're literally putting yourself in the other person's shoes and seeing how can i create impact or what can i do to make one person's lives better you know and in business when you're actually working with clients even though yes you you might be making money maybe it's not a non-profit but you're still trying to create impact and specifically for me you know being a woman woman entrepreneur being an immigrant um i think for me the the biggest value that i want to get out of geeks and experts and working with clients is sharing the stories of underrepresented founders so how can we highlight their stories how can we share the different backgrounds they come from and help their businesses grow along with that you know because uh, storytelling is such a big part of uh, any founder's journey any small business owner's growth uh, so that is something that we want to equip them with is is to be able to shine that's amazing yeah i think for me, it goes back to the fact that like people buy from people, not businesses, right? And that's who they trust. And I think whenever a business or an organization can tie what they're doing from a profitability perspective to something that actually means something more impactful to them, like they're like we always talk about like the why getting back to your why. I feel like mm-hmm. it's just good business. Like, sure, from a branding perspective, it's beautiful, right? Because it's like, oh, it's so amazing. They're such a great company. But like even beyond that hopefully that like flows into like their core principles and their values and their ethical responsibilities to their communities. And I just think that there's so much power that can be done by for-profit companies doing stuff in the nonprofit sector. Absolutely. that That's so true. And I think, you know, like you said, the why, the purposeful intent, uh, I think those are really meaningful things to think about, even in the way you're functioning, in the way you reach out to clients, in the way you do follow-ups, in the way you uh, you know, close contracts, it, it really, it's visible when you're doing all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously we need to move this conversation along to the business side of things. And there's a topic that you, you, that you discuss, and obviously it's a big part of your business. And it's something that we've been discussing a lot on this show. And just as a company over the last few years is this like idea of fractional talent. Um, you'll hear people talk about like fractional CMO or fractional CFO or fractional, you know, HR, PR, like it's all over the place. It's like a really hot topic right now for the businesses and the agencies that are listening to the show that might have never heard of fractional talent. Could you kind of tell us a little bit more about that? And like, why do you think that's like a trending topic and why it's so valuable to businesses that could use your type of expertise? Yes, for sure. So I love to uh, explain fractional talent literally by breaking down the word fraction. It basically means you have experts who can work on multiple companies for a fraction of their week. That's why fractional. And yeah. uh, essentially, I think it's making its way around right now, kind of maybe in a bit of a rebrand, but also because it's more of a curated or a thoughtful matching of a company with an expert. And uh, the reason being, of course, you know, having uh, been through the pandemic, a lot of people decided to have like multiple income streams, like they're working a full-time job. But they also want to maybe start uh, another you know, company on the side or an independent consultancy on the side. And I think the, the best part about the fractional resources is for these companies that are on a little bit of a limited budget with the kind of environment we're in economically, uh, you, know, you can utilize some of these resources and still move the needle for your company. You can still achieve the results that you want uh, without having to hire somebody full-time. I mean, full-time hiring, I think, almost adds up to around $4,000 per hire, which is a lot of money. And if you're at the early stages and you're just looking to get started on, um, you know, getting your marketing or PR efforts going and you hire somebody on a fractional basis, 
uh, that just means you're getting that expertise, but literally also at a fraction of the cost. So I think it's a great tool that yeah. um, you know companies can utilize. And to differentiate it slightly from freelance, right? So it's confusing sometimes because I think um, a lot of people think like, you know, that's the fast fashion version. That's when you look for a freelancer to get a logo designed uh, and, you know, you can get that done and you can move on. But in fractional, you're more involved in the process. So not just directly on delivering uh, a product or a deliverable at the end, but more about how do you work through the process? How do you get from point A to point B? And what are resources that you can apply while you do that? Yeah, that's, I hate to compare it to like a, this sounds so bad. I hate to compare it to like a timeshare, but I like think Mm -hmm. of it in a similar way. It's like not everyone can afford to buy a beach house. Not when everyone can afford to buy some, you know, really nice membership to a, a country club or whatever. But like we all could benefit from the benefit benefits if you will the features and benefits of that that resource and so i think about the same way like with a like fractional cmo for example it's like i might be a small company who could really really use the advice of a senior marketing director or creative director but i can't afford the salary that comes along with that i can't afford one hundred and sixty thousand plus a year right but wouldn't Mm -hmm. it be nice if i could just get that guy's time for a few hours a week right to just like shine light Mm -hmm. in in spaces that I need, you know, to grow and develop. For me, I see it very similarly. I know it's not the same. And I know that timeshares have like negative connotation. So I don't want people to think. (laughs) I love that analogy. That's that's an easy way to break it down. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I like what you talked about though. And I want to, I want to deep dive into this about they're not necessarily freelancers, right? I mean, how would you, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I kind of already mentioned it and you have too, but like, these aren't just people who are sitting at coffee shops who have like spare time to offer value to you, right? Like how would you say there's a differ between fractional talent versus just contract, you know, um, freelancers essentially? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, going back to the output or what you're expecting to get from hiring somebody. So with freelance, I think it's a very set understanding of these are the deliverables so if you're hiring a designer or a product developer uh you know they have certain outcomes that they're going to deliver and they'll give you that time frame but with with fractional talent you're uh, integrating them into your teams or you're integrating them into your um you know systems as much as possible so that they are you know embedded uh so it's kind of like a plug and play almost if yeah. you want to call it that but uh it's not so much about okay what are the deliverables that you're going to give after 6 months it's more about what are the processes that we're going to implement what are some of the strategies that we're thinking about to get from point a to point b so it's uh different from that sense is is my understanding and you know what i've experienced with when when we're talking to our clients and telling them about what what they can expect when they hire a you know a fractional pr expert for their company yeah that's that part is like really valuable is just like knowing when you need that talent, you know, and knowing when you need those resources. And I think that that's obviously what you guys have done is to kind of just made that a simpler process to kind of pair companies, especially those startups with uh, PR experts. How do businesses identify when it's time to bring in somebody without necessarily making a full-time hire? Yes, that's a great question. I think when you're starting out, um, Yes, it's important to understand what your goals are for PR. So having you know been at a certain stage, uh, maybe you're doing a fundraising round, you're going from C to your Series A, you're leading up to the fundraising. Uh, maybe that's a good time that you want to do some PR work. But I think 
it's important to identify also what are not the goals you have for PR. I mean, is your goal to be on the front cover of Forbes? Then that's a very vague, uh, you know, goal that all entrepreneurs have. But does that really yeah. move the needle for your company? So you have to really sure. identify what are the objectives, what are the goals. So when we do an onboarding call with the client, we try to understand where they're at in the business, where do they see themselves three to six months from now. Uh, are they launching a new feature? Uh, is that something that we could help them, you know, do a PR tour or a PR sprint for? And then also identifying what are the needle movers? What are the niche publications, trade shows, uh, speaking engagements that pertain to them? Because uh, very often, you know, everyone likes to think of these uh, big media outlets and getting there, which is great. I mean, it's it's lovely to have those dream publications, but narrow down and see what's your core company's focus. If you're in fintech, then there are a lot of niche publications that you should be targeting, um, you know, that speak to your audience um, because those are where you're going to get the, I like it, I say, you know, quality over quantity, of course, but also one size fits all does not work in PR. Uh, you really have to like, you know, figure out what is, uh, what is your goal right now, which will be very different from what it will be one year from now. Yeah. That's, I think the goal, like we, it's so funny too, because every single podcast episode is always like centers around like goal setting. Like yep. you can't do anything in your business without setting those goals and like putting a plan in place. Um, I had a question that I don't know if it's like loaded or not, but from a press from PR standpoint, um, how do I how do I ask this? Um, how, do you feel like every business needs PR, right? Like, and I think mm. we kind of both know the answer to that question, but then also. Um, how much is it the company's responsibility versus like the fractional talent's responsibility? That's that's an interesting one, right? Because whenever you're looking at hiring a fractional expert, there has to be such a match in terms of the values, in, ton, in terms of just your understanding of what uh, sure. you know the executive can do for you. They're not necessarily going to do all the work. You have to integrate yeah. them and okay, offer resources. Yeah. So I, I love that you sure. asked that because... A hundred percent. I think, yes, you need to identify uh, who's the right person that fits. So obviously looking at their track record, looking at their finessed media relationships, what's been their experience in the past, because again, with PR, uh, you need to have somebody who's had those industry expertise. So uh, somebody who's worked in travel cannot do PR for a fintech company. Um, it's really, you know, boils yeah. down to making those matches. And that's where we step in to make sure that that alignment is there on the goals front, on the value front, you know, going back to what we were chatting about, um, you know, the the good factor or um, something that can't be explained, it's an intangible, but if that alignment is there for your values, that's also something that strengthens your relationship. So uh, yeah. when you onboard somebody, uh, you have to be as involved to like give them that information, give them the right tools, the resources and the flexibility uh, to be able to, you know, take the lead on some of these projects. Uh, so not so much micromanaging 100%. or, you know, handling everything A to Z. That's the whole reason you're hiring somebody externally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of reason I asked is like, I think about it even in our industry, like we've talked about like offering fractional CMO services and it's like, it's like such a kind of a gray line for us. Cause it's like, where am I just showing up and being like that advisor and consultant and overseeing, like being a true, like leader, taking a leadership position versus just being a marketing agency that calls themselves fractional CMO. Where it's like, you're sure I'm your point person. Like I'm a glorified, glorified project manager that's got a, you know, a, a bigger title. And then I have a team behind me who's doing all the work. But like, I think about that in all of these different expertise areas, especially PR and marketing, right? Because it is 
as you know, so many layers, right? Like PR is not just like, let me call my friend down at the times and send him your information and all's going to be good from there, right? Like there's like relationships yeah. and publications and there's the digital advertising side. And then there's the, the, pre, you know, the press tours like podcasts. And, um, you know, if you're a speaker speaking tours, like there's so many layers there. And so it's interesting to me, just like the fractional topic in general, but like how, I guess my bigger question here is how can businesses make sure that they are leveraging the talent to the best of their ability while also managing realistic expectations? Yes, for sure. I think over there, there's uh, some work that needs to be done in when you're onboarding the fractional executive or the fractional talent for, let's take PR, right? Uh, is the goal to increase thought leadership of the founder, of the business owner, tell their story? How did they build this business? You know, what were their goals? Um, that's kind of different than if you're looking to build PR for the brand specifically, maybe because you want to get investor yeah. interest down the line. Um, so I think when you're, when you're, getting external, um, you know, fractional experts on board, uh, just identifying uh, what is it, what are the tools that they need uh, that will help them get to the goals that you have. So rather than, you know, a relationship of one-way communication as this is where I want to go and now you can take whatever you need and, and reach there, uh, rather being like, okay, this is what we have, this is what we can offer, uh, this is a dedicated resource or a person or uh, you know, information that our company can provide that will leverage uh, that talent to actually utilize all of those resources and then move forward. Because um, even when the fractional executive comes in, uh, you have to see what experience they've had before, you know, which industries they've worked in, which, yeah. uh, what results have they got for other companies that they've worked for in the past, uh, just to kind of understand what is their process. And that, I keep pointing out the process because I think that's so important to understand uh, because without identifying what that person's process is and their way of thinking or how they problem solve or how they tackle certain situations, it's hard to understand, uh, you know, how they'll be able to work for your company or what results they can drive for you. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. What What is the process of like engaging? I mean, specifically with your company, because obviously like that's what we're here for, right? Like we want to promote what it is that you're doing and I have no problem with that. So what does that normal process look like for a company who's looking to engage a fractional PR expert? Yeah, for sure. So essentially think of it like, um, you know, a marketplace which has PR specialists from, I can say, as diverse as true crime podcast tours right up to travel, uh, you know, literally across the spectrum. And so when you're looking at getting PR specialists on board and you have different kinds of budgets, maybe you have uh, maybe just a thousand or a couple dollar, thousand dollars uh, per month right now. And you want to do this for a three month sprint rather than signing on an agency. Maybe that'll make you do a one year minimum retainer. Uh, so you come in with those requests and goals in mind. And then we'll do an onboarding call to understand what your goals are. And then we'll you know share a couple of different profiles with you to see who's a good fit. So you would do, again, an introductory call with them to identify what are the PR specialist you know, backgrounds. Uh, what are what does their portfolio look like? Um, you know, how do they how do they again go about doing PR or what is their uh, go to model? What are their expertise in in those different industries? And uh, the way we work is uh, once the contract is signed, is then when we would have like the success based contingency, uh, you know, kind of take rate. So that's the model we've adopted right now, and we're actively onboarding PR specialists across the spectrum. That's amazing. So. This is like so fascinating to me. Obviously, like I get the process of this, right? Like as mm -hmm. as a bigger picture, but 
it's just fun specifically for PR and marketing in general, because like for me, again, like I know how much goes into that. Um, I'd imagine that as a part of your business, you're also, tell me if I'm wrong, always looking to engage additional talent too. Is that right? Absolutely. That's something that we actively do. Uh, we're onboarding talent and it's, again, it's a lot of, uh, you know, going by referrals, going via word of mouth, uh, through, through networks, just so that we want to make sure the quality of the talent that we have on board also matches, uh, you know, because that's something that is also important to us is to vet the talent uh, and make sure that it aligns with, um, you know, the kind of quality we want to maintain. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Why would, I mean, is there any reason why someone should go with just looking for someone themselves and taking the more traditional approach to like, vetting their own talent or is it like a no-brainer to go with geeks and experts yeah it's definitely i mean think of it like you could go and and do the scouting on your own and you know reach out to networks and then try to find people who meet your specific industry needs or you could come here to just get a whole pool of people who who fall into that category because uh you know when you're searching you might come across maybe a couple people who are specifically in fintech or in beauty that your company is in but when you come here we can probably help you find different budgets but for the same you know kind of needs so if you have somebody who's starting at you know a couple of thousand dollars going up to like ten thousand dollars per month you really have the whole spectrum in front of you to see you know what kind of seniority do you want uh what kind of goals do you have in mind what is your budget uh and also what are the different um you know kind of processes that these these different experts bring to the table yeah. Yeah. That's it, to me that it, it is a no brainer, right? Like, and I know that you're probably, you have enough humility to not say that on the podcast, but like, I'll say it for you. Like as someone who has been on this side of hiring, it's so much easier for, um, you know, HR teams or executive CEOs, whatever, when they're looking for talent to go to a marketplace where people have already been vetted and there's already been that due diligence. And we already have put all of their common, you know, skill sets in one place for you to look at and say, oh, that is the thing I'm looking for. You know, it's like if I can narrow my focus down, like that's the beauty of like where talent and intersection, the talent and talent and technology intersects, like mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. like it makes it so much easier than back in the day where you would have had to have a hundred interviews and you hope that the person that you hired because y'all both liked the same sports team worked out only to find out a month later that they were a bad culture fit. It's just like, crap. Yeah, like we've already absolutely. put all that money, time and energy into onboarding that person. I would say that that's probably another value of working with a department, like a team like you guys is if there needs to be a, a change, I, I'd imagine it's not crazy hard like it would be if you had hired somebody. Is that is that a good assumption? Yes, I 100% agree with you there. I think the vetting part of it is so huge. It's just a lot of the admin part of it also that's taken care of, right? Because you're, um, yep. you just have, you're kind of outsourcing that whole process of identifying then you know setting up time to connect and doing these onboarding calls i mean all of these things take a lot of time but if you have that one point of contact that is able to help you with all of that so kind of like a hub and spoke model right uh you have one node that then opens up to so many different opportunities that you can just select which path you want to take going forward uh, as opposed to kind of trying to go out all on your own and in different directions trying to find that one fit that would work for you yeah that a hundred percent. I think that saves you so much time. And, and the reality is like, that's the one resource we can't get back. We talk about it all the time, how like time is like the so one true. thing that like, if we could have more of, we'd all be in a better place. And it's like, as executive, as executives, as entrepreneurs, 
we need to be finding ways in our businesses to maximize the time we have. And it's as simple as small resources like this, where it's like, why are you spending hours and hours trying to find the right person when you could visit a website like yours and immediately be plugged into the right fit, right? And not just mm -hmm. finding the talent, but also I'd imagine you're also spending a lot of hours thinking about what am I going to do from a PR perspective and what is the right approach? And it's like, dude, stop. Like let, we always tell people, trust your experts, let people do yep. what they're good at. If you're a, yep. if you're a good visionary, but you're not a good PR guy, then don't try to be a PR guy. Like leverage no. the yeah. talent that exists out there. Mm -hmm. Trust yourself this is that a, you hire a little the right bit of a people. Left, it, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. I want to like take a left field question for you here. It's a little bit like more on the nerdy side or um, whatever you want to call it. But as a founder, that's kind of really in a technology slash human space, like you're kind of somewhere in the middle there. How do businesses make sure that they are using the right amount of balance between automation and human expertise? Because like with the kind of rise of AI right now, which every single day I'm getting a new demo of a new AI tool and it's freaking me out a little more and more every day. And it's, it's amazing. Like, don't get me wrong. Like it is so incredibly amazing. and I'm excited about what will happen, but how do businesses make sure to, to adapt and to, you know, again, leverage both in a good balance. I love the balance word is so key there, uh, Andrew, because, you know, I think uh, when we're talking to a lot of our clients, it's important to kind of highlight when you're, doing PR, especially if you're reaching out to journalists, for example, if you're reaching out, uh, you know, to pitch your, pitch your story, your founder, background, business, uh, don't use AI to write your pitch and ship it to them. I mean, it's got to be a little more, uh, you know, hands-on than that. You have to do some homework. You have to do your due diligence. I mean, in, in things like this, and, and I love that you mentioned, you know, the intersection of humans and technology, because I think the human component is, is so important to hold on to when you're having those interactions because otherwise, what's the difference between somebody else also who's generated and a pitch written by AI and sending it to multiple journalists? Uh, they can read through that. So just to take this one example, uh, maintain the human element. Make sure that, of course, use AI for you know ideas. Use AI for um, you know maybe just other inspiration or uh, some kind of data accumulation. But when it comes to actually refining what you're doing or your let's take this pitch for example. Uh, make sure that there's, you know, human element involved there that makes it look like you gave it some thought, that you actually put in some energy, um, you know, with doing some homework, uh, reading about the journalist, writing about something that they wrote, engaging with their, you know, content online. So just to take that one example, um, when it comes to the intersection of human and tech, I think that is the key is is balance. I'm not saying that there's no room to use AI. There's definitely a lot of room in which you can you, utilize it to, uh, you know, get ideas for your business, but it's important to understand uh, it cannot fully replace it. It can definitely give you tools or it can equip you better. Yeah, I, I agree because we have to be so careful not to allow, because we are, I hope to not say this and offend people, but I kind of do like we're inherently lazy sometimes. Like we always are looking for a <laughs> shortcut and the quickest path. Like it's just, I don't know if it's just like in our, DNA or what or what you want to call it, but we can't allow that to take over everything we do. Like it's already sad, like from a human perspective, it's already sad to see what social media has done to like society and how much it's changed us as even the way we interact with each other, because it's just different. Like we've like, I'd imagine we're a similar age. So we've grew up with social media 
like just starting to be kind of cool. Like MySpace yeah. was like, oh, MySpace, right? Like, so yeah. it's just like now it's completely different. Like all these other social platforms that like people are just like so like entrenched in has has really mm-hmm. changed things. And so like even when with me, when we when we educate businesses on AI, it's like, hey, like use AI to make you more productive and make you more efficient by helping you like rapid prototype ideas. But if you lose the human component, you're not going to win. It's just, it's, it's already been proven time and time again, people want authenticity. And if you don't remain mm-hmm. authentic, it's just not going to be successful. And like, I think that that rings true in PR more than ever. Like when you think about the fact that there's probably millions of pitches happening, ev- happening every single day, your AI generated pitch is going to look like every other guy who's using AI generated pitches. It's just not, just not going to land well. And I think it, it even uh, boils down to even your personal brand. You know, when you're using tools, uh, you have AI tools that you can use to amplify that. But again, there's got to be such an element of your voice, your story, uh, you know, showing up in that. So I, I write a lot on Medium. Uh, that, that's just something, you know, that I use to kind of document my founder journey and talk a lot about things that, you know, mean a lot to me, right, from fitness to business. And even platforms like Medium are now really, really boiling down on bringing the human voice or the author's voice out because a lot of people started using AI to generate articles and, you know, uh, get 10 articles a day shipped, whereas uh, authentic writers actually boil down to doing research. They actually go down to, uh, you know, carving their story with a unique voice, with a unique angle. Uh, and I think that that really shows, you know, in the algorithm, it shows in how your content is received, how people react to it. Um, so so it's important to yeah understand what are ways in which it can add value and what are ways in which it can totally, uh, you know, make your, make your content fall flat. Yep. I mean, I, I, I again, I love AI and I do use it regularly, but mm-hmm. it's so funny because people are like, AI sucks. And I'm like, well, you're, <laughs> you're probably not leveraging it the way you should. Like, you're probably looking it. for it to do the job for you, right? Yeah. And the better, the for one, I mean, we're going off on a tangent here, but the better the prompt you put in, the better output you're going to get. But even beyond that, if you take what it gives you and then make it your own, it's that much better, right? But so many people yeah. are just, again, looking for that shortcut. It's like, dude, you would have never been able to write that 1500 word blog post in 30 seconds. So take the extra yeah. five minutes to personalize mm-hmm. that blog post for for your brand, for your image and your your voice. But instead exactly. they're just like, oh, that was so cool. It did it in 30 seconds. I'm going to publish it. And it's like, dude, like, mm. come on. like don't Exactly. And I think it's, like, you know, kind of boils down to what you don't know, you don't like, or you're afraid of. I think it's a little bit of that. Yeah. Uh, it does take some trial and error and just, you know, experimenting. Uh, I mean, run some experiments, see, uh, you know, where, where it stands out, where you get the results. Uh, so you can always utilize that to your advantage. Yeah, absolutely. These these conversations are always fun too because I think that it requires business owners to realize that we're always going to have to learn something new. We're always going to have to adapt. We're always going to have to rely. This is where it like really lands though. It's like we're always going to have to rely on our experts. Bottom line, like even in all of these things that are progressing, we're, ne- we're never going to know it all in our businesses. There's just no way we possibly could. We've got so much on our plate already. We're trying to have a personal life. We're trying to run a business. We're trying to help, you know, grow sales. We're trying to cast our vision to the team. It's like, you can't be expected to know everything. 
And that's really where a company like Geeks and Experts comes in because it's like, hey, you don't have to. Like, you don't have to know everything. Like, <laughs> let us let us do the heavy lifting. Let us do the stuff that you don't want to do. And then allow that to grow your vision. Because at the end of the day, I think most business owners, to some extent, have just a little bit of pride. And they want to, they want to be successful and they want to see their vision through. But that requires a team. That requires a team effort. So... Mm -hmm. I no, that's so true. I love I, I love the saying like know what yeah. you don't know and 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 find somebody who does um, because that is self awareness or just understanding your strengths and weaknesses and what you can and cannot do even with your team is so important because uh, yeah it's just easier when you find somebody who's been there done that like you said yeah. for sure self awareness 100%. is a superpower so, yes so true absolutely it's, it was funny that. <laughs> That actually like is a perfect full circle loop there into like our icebreaker question about like our clones, right? And just like the kind of the self-realization of like even just like the internal debate we had about, well, wait a second, am I going to be the guy that's working or am I going to be the guy that's having fun? Like it's just yeah. like that's the same thing in our businesses and our organizations as well. So we like to end every single one of our episodes off with a growth hack. So Sneha, if you could leave us with one here. Hacks! All right. So what oh, business that. growth hack do you <laughs> appreciate it? We love we love our little sound effects. Uh, what one piece of advice, what one business growth hack could you leave business owners, entrepreneurs out there who are thinking about, I don't know, they're just trying to grow. They're trying to do something different. Uh, they're trying to maximize all of their efforts, especially in a year like this year where everyone's kind of complaining about the economy and how it's been a tough year. What advice would you share with them? Absolutely. I think there's so much that you can do uh, even, you know, with tight budgets. And especially speaking of PR, uh, one of the tools that I really, you know, recommend to a lot of startups and business owners is HARO, which is H-A-R-O. It's called Help a Reporter Out. Uh, it's a great tool. I mean, I discovered this, uh, you know, last year and just having used that to, you know, start building your own PR from the very, very ground level. I mean, uh, you'll get three emails a day from from Harrow and they'll send out pitch requests from journalists who are actually looking for real people, real sources to help them meet a very tight deadline on a story that they need to publish. And if you fit that, um, you know, respond to them and just share whatever you have and whatever information will, you know, is valuable to them. Uh, I think that's a great tool to start out with when you're, you know, just wondering where do I even start with my PR. Uh, so this is one form of reactive pitching, which I recommend, um, you know, business owners to do. And uh, yeah, as you grow, um, you can always evolve that PR effort and uh, see what makes more sense for you at that stage. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really, really great tool to have shared with everybody, because I don't think a lot of business owners know about it. For one, two, there's literally something for almost any industry and they break it down into the industry and their email that they send out exactly. like once or twice a week. So you, so you can like scroll to the section that you're an expert in and say, Oh, I might be able to respond to that. Um, I'll piggyback on that. And I'll say for my fellow entrepreneur CEOs who feel like they're not necessarily the best writers and they don't know how to communicate uh, what they have to say, but they know they can, they can speak about it. They can say, Oh, I can talk about that all day, but how do I write that? One of the things that I used to do, with Haro specifically was I would read the question. If I felt like I would be able to respond to it for a potential press opportunity, I would actually just do a voice memo on my phone, just talking about that thing that they were looking for. And then I would share it with one of my team members, Carol, who was a copywriter. 
And Carol would actually take what I had said and communicate it in just a more, I don't know, brilliant, concise way. I, I tend to ramble and give you eloquence, like whatever. (laughs) Yeah. She gave me eloquence. And uh, you could, I'd say to take that, if we want to go to the little nerdy side of the conversation today, now you could take that voice memo and use AI to say, Hey, take what I've said here and just make it a little bit more concise and, and come up with two paragraphs. And they can, that's that, in my opinion, is the, the better way to use AI because it started with your voice and then it used AI to just help you look a little bit more polished versus trying to use what AI came up with. And then you're trying to do something to it to make it sound like your own. That's genius. Um, I so think I'm going to steal Haro that actually. Is, Thank Haro's you. Haro's amazing. Steal it. Haro is, do seriously, it. Haro's been incredible for us. We've been on uh, Inc, um, uh, online Inc magazine. Um, I think uh, was another big one that we were on. Um, I can't remember. There was like another really, really big publication, uh, that we were on, but multiple through that exact approach, uh, several large software companies, which like was kind of cool because I used those tools and I was able to like respond. And then I was featured on their website and I was like, I don't know. I kind of geeked out a little bit. Cause I was like, I know that tool. Like I've used that for 10 years or whatever. So, uh, Haro is definitely a great, great way to get started with press. And then in my opinion, like what Sneha is doing right now, podcasting is like huge right now for, for PR. Um, you know, not Absolutely. everybody's a good fit for it. Not everybody's a good, good at being a podcast guest, but if it's something that you are comfortable with, if you don't mind talking to people, if you feel like you are, um, you know, I guess outgoing, if you're method, already you doing a, really a bunch of public speaking. Yeah. Oh, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. I mean, if you're already in that element, you know, podcasting is great. And what I like about podcasting as, you know, Sneha probably realizes too, is you get so much out of it. You get the audio recording, you get the video recordings, you can take that up and turn it into social content. Like there's so many, I guess, much mileage you get out of one podcast episode. So that would be like my little double whammy to to go with Haro. For sure. (laughs) And I think even podcast guests love being guests, you know, on on our podcast hosts love being guests also. So even if you have your own podcast, like that doesn't limit you from, you know, being on other podcasts as a guest. And I 100% agree. Like through your I don't think many years ago we were talking so much about podcasts, but in PR, uh, you know, pretty much every niche has its own podcast. You have podcasts, like I mentioned, you know, right from true yep. crime to uh, even PCOS for women health and, you know, hormonal health. Uh, so there's a niche for everybody there and it's best way to get straight to your audience. And like you said, in so many different formats. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, well, this has been an amazing episode. Why don't you go ahead and take a little second to do a shameless plug, promote everything you've got going on. How can people support you, find you and all of that good stuff? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you both so much for having me. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Please uh, feel free to reach out. I'm uh, on LinkedIn uh, and my startup, like I mentioned, is called Geeks and Experts. We have fractional experts across the industry from fitness to business and if you're at the seed to series A stage or you're a small business that just wants to get started on your PR efforts, uh, you know, reach out to us and we'll set you up with the right specialist who will definitely get that visibility for your brand on the budget that you have in mind. Heck yeah. Well, we'll make sure to put that all down in the show notes. If today's episode spoke to you in any way, especially if you're a business owner out there thinking, man, I really could, I could scale up. I could do more if I could just get a little bit more PR. Sneha is the person, and I just love her business name, and what a heck of a domain name, geeksandexperts.com. So make sure you guys support that. Check it out. If you're on LinkedIn, support her on LinkedIn. Yeah, if you like the show, leave one. us a review. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's a good, good domain name. Um, let us know what you think about the show. You can uh, leave us a review. You can share it with a friend. We don't know if we're doing good or not, if you don't tell us. And we just like to hear from you. We like to answer all your questions. So thanks for coming back out every single Monday. Enjoy your Monday. Pretend like it's Friday. Enjoy your Monday. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com.